You know, people talk about minimum viable product. What I think about for marketplaces, I call it minimum viable happiness. And the idea is like, how do you know? I mean, we're talking about happiness, but man, like that is at, at one point I called it the hippie version of liquidity because like, what is, you know, how do you, how do you articulate? How do you measure happiness? It's, you know, it must be frustrating for engineers to hear, hear um, that's the optimization function. Send out an but, NPS score. What do you, what do you, what do you mean? Oh, don't get me started <laughs> with NPS. Uh, I'm happy to talk about NPS. I, I, um, I have a bone to pick with it. Welcome to this special episode preview of the Acquired Limited Partner Show. As many of you know, the LP Show has been focusing recently on the fundamentals of venture capital. For our latest episode, we were joined by Sarah Tavel, a general partner at Benchmark, to go deep on the topic with us. Sarah is one of the great consumer investing thinkers out there, having made an early investment in Pinterest, then joining the company early in her career and early in the company, and later returning to be a VC. We decided to create this preview of the episode with some of our favorite nuggets since the applicability is so vast and something that we think all acquired listeners would enjoy. That, and we did the same thing with her partner Chathan last year on enterprise investing, so it seemed only fair. Here's our first segment where we asked Sarah for the 30,000-foot view on why backing consumer companies or B2C companies is attractive to investors. There are two big things that come to mind for me with consumer. The first is is just the size of the market. You know, the whole idea of consumer is that all consumers are potential customers. When you think about building massive companies that reach tremendous scale, there's really no bigger scale than you can ask for than consumers uh, in terms of spend, the time. It has the potential if you can unlock an opportunity that is universal you have the opportunity to build something really, really big. The second thing is is that a lot of consumer companies, at least the ones that we we focus on, have a dynamic that leads to winner-take-most outcomes. Um, and that's largely thanks to network effects, so the Facebooks of this world, or more economies of scale. So you can think of you know Amazon as an example. And so you bring those two attributes together where you have a company that has a massive market to go after and can escape competition. Uh, and that just leads to the type of asymmetric outcomes that, that drive big returns in, in venture. And that's you know, why, we, why we focus on those types of opportunities. Digging a little deeper there, so enormous markets that have winner-take-all or winner-take-most possibilities, there's higher upside. Is there higher risk? Like, do you think about this as a category that's sort of higher beta than enterprise investing? You know, there's higher risk for uh, a couple reasons. One is that there, there's something that's more about taste, or there's this we kind of talk about capturing lightning in a bottle in consumer, where it's so hard to know where a hit, as they call it, might come from, where, you know, you never could have looked at a market sizing diagram or a Gartner report, and then deduce from that that there should be a social network that starts with colleges and spreads from there. You never would have thought a company like Cameo, you know, there's rarely a top down or bottoms up analysis that leads to an insight that creates an experience which which captures something and leads to tremendous consumer growth. And so 
that's just like capturing lightning in the bottle. And then there's so much to there's it's so hard to go from there and, and then actually reach escape velocity, unlock a monetization model. Like there's there's so many more steps or hurdles that there's a much higher rate of companies being started going after consumer opportunities, iterating, 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 and never quite unlocking or capturing that lightning in a bottle. Whereas on the B2B side, Chathan, Eric, and Peter on my on, on the benchmark team, we they sometimes joke that they're they're coal diggers where, you know, it's much clearer <laughs> oftentimes where you're where you're digging, you know, and there's there's a much higher You're looking for diamonds, they're looking for the coal byproducts. That's a like. great way of yes, exactly. And so you're, you know, there's a much higher recipe for success of in B2B of find a great founder who really knows his space and and has you know is able to kind of get that go to market motion going and and start to build equity value whereas on the consumer side that's there's no recipe for success when these consumer businesses are in the business of finding something that isn't in any sort of research report and then 10 to 20 years later it's one of the biggest total addressable markets there is how do you evaluate that in a venture capital context when the the classic notion is we invest in big markets mm-hmm. oh, oh, well there's so much to unpack there <laughs> you know one of the hard things of unpacking that is that you know consumers this big umbrella there's so many different types of consumer companies, right? And so if we're talking about a marketplace, I'd have a different answer for you. If we're talking about a social product, I'd have a different answer for you. If we're talking about a gaming company, I'd have a different answer for you. The thing that I focus the most on is what at, at the earliest, earliest stages can you see in a founder, in the product they've built, in the market that they're going after that maximizes the chances that that company, that that founding team will be able to go to the distance. And you know, it's funny because a lot of the lessons that we take from that thinking are actually contrarian to what a lot of people think about in venture. And so as an example, you talked about big market. Most VCs you talk to, most people think that you have to go after a big market and founders will come in and they'll have, you know, their market sizing slide and it'll show these big $100 billion market numbers. And when I see that, my eyes completely glaze over because I'd much, much rather, you know, for a marketplace in particular, but I think this transcends marketplaces, I'd much rather someone have a core insight into a small market. I kind of, I describe it as like the thimble of a market and, and have adjacencies, have the ability to expand beyond that than to be going after a big market from the beginning. I just think if we loop back to that idea, the premise that we started this conversation with, which is driving towards winner-take-most markets, if you're going after a huge market, it's just going to be, you're, you're boiling the ocean. And so the only way to have a chance to do that is to start with something very small. But that that's contrarian. That's not, that's not what you'll hear from 9 out of 10 VCs, I'd assume. Sarah then goes into more detail on when a thimble market has the ability to expand into adjacencies versus what might just be a small market with no access to that growth. The next topic we cover is Sarah's recent set of three epic blog posts, her hierarchy of marketplaces. What follows is effectively the director's cut commentary of this three-part series. Here's her take on what she calls level one of a marketplace. What I talk about in the post and what I think about is I, I call it happiness. And, and and my point is, is, you know, GMV, it, it's 
it's not to say that it's not a useful measure, but it's not the thing that you want to drive towards. It's if you're if you're just driving towards maximizing GMV, you're going to end up with the scenarios that we described earlier, where you're getting big numbers, but you're not actually creating any enduring value. And instead, what you want to do is focus on creating what I think of as happiness. And you know, happiness, it's, it's, it's a funny word to use. It's one that I actually hesitated a lot on. I was thinking liquidity or value. But, but happiness to me is something that incorporates the holistic experience that you create for your buyers and your sellers. It's almost the delta in a way of kind of the value you create and the value you capture from, from your marketplace. You know, people talk about minimum viable product. What I think about for marketplaces, I call it minimum viable happiness. And the idea is like, how do you know? I mean, we're talking about happiness, but man, like that is at, at one point I called it the hippie version of liquidity because like, how do you articulate? How do you measure happiness? It's, you know, it must be frustrating for engineers to hear here. Um, that's the optimization function. Send out an but, NPS score. What do, you, what, do you, what do you mean? Oh, don't get me started <laughs> with NPS. Uh, I'm happy to talk about NPS. I have a bone to pick with it. But you know, what I ended up coming down to is retention. My friend Casey Winters, who I, I worked with at Pinterest and is now the chief product officer at, at uh, Eventbrite and just a great marketplace thinker, he, he said something when I was talking to him about happiness. He said he told his team that product market fit isn't when your users stop complaining, it's when they stop leaving. And I think that is the, the, a great distillation of it, which is that the marketplaces I've seen that have succeeded have all reached two points, which is one, the cohorts that they have plateau. So you get to a point where you don't have to retain everybody, like you never do with a marketplace, but you want to get to a point where you get to some point where you're making enough of your users happy on either the buy side or the sell side that they retain. Um, that's number one. And then the second side, I actually think that a lot of the time you'll see one side that has actually net revenue retention or net usage retention that's above 100%. So you have one side that has more than 100% net revenue retention, and you have another side that you do have plateauing. It may not be at 100% net revenue retention, but it works well enough that you can kind of see how the unit economics will work for you to pay back your go-to-market motion and keep on putting more and more into growing. And to just illustrate an example for that, like if Uber one month acquires a million riders and by six months in, it's plateaued where only half of those riders are still using the service, but each one is spending more than twice as much money on the service, then it satisfies that that rule because you're, the total revenue from that cohort has has stayed flat or increased. That's right. And what's interesting is that for different verticals, you'll have different dynamics. So Uber is a great example where the net revenue retention that you're going to see above 100% is going to be on the demand side. And you're going to have, you know, there, you're going to have retention that plateaus on the supply side, the driver side, but there's a lot more acquisition you have to do on the driver side all the time. On, on travel, on the other hand, like take Airbnb, Airbnb is actually going to have that net revenue retention occur on the supply side because the, the, the repeat usage for staying at an Airbnb is just not very high. And it's not because of Airbnb's product and losing those consumers to substitutes. It's because people just don't travel that often. And so you want to get as much share of wallet as possible, but you're still going to see cohorts that take a long time to, to show the evidence of repeat usage. 
And so it's much more about on that side, you know, seeing some plateauing, but really it's about the net revenue retention you'll have on the supply side and having really scalable, ideally free sources on the demand side. Sarah then takes us through level two of a marketplace after minimum viable happiness when a marketplace business tips. This is when you become so much better than any substitute that the market tips in your direction, which is when it's time to start growing systematically and in scalable ways to increase happiness, not just GMV at all costs. Now, back to the interview. This feels like the moment that a company would start really thinking about level three, which I'm going to paraphrase here, and it's going to be maybe too too aggressive of a paraphrasing, but when you know you have an advantage, press it. Does that feel <laughs> does that feel like a I like that encapsulation? Yeah, that's a, that's a good encapsulation, and it's you know it's uh, I'll provide the why, which is there's this company Shipstead that is this uh, online classified sites, and they did this analysis where they looked across their portfolio of online classifieds and realized that how profitable one of their online classified sites was was a function of how much bigger that site was relative to the number two in its particular market. It's kind of back to that winner take most idea, which is that the bigger you are relative to the number two, the more value you're able to create and and therefore capture. And so to your point, Ben, if you have that opportunity and you're something's tipping, you're, you're ahead of your competition, then you've just got to double down on that and push and push and push. And it's not enough to be number one. You have to be number one by a mile in order to really create the value that we all look for in these companies. Sarah then walked us through how that value creation isn't just for the company and its shareholders, which of course benefit, but that acceleration to be number one by a mile has value that accrues to customers and suppliers on the marketplace too. In the rest of the episode, we do a lightning round on other consumer business models, consumer social content, the rare consumer SaaS business, and how gaming and social are merging into one. If you want to hear the whole episode and go deeper with us specifically on consumer investing for the full hour and get access to all of our VC Fundamentals episodes, you can click the link in the show notes or become an acquired limited partner. Of course, all new members get a seven-day free trial, and you'll get access to the other LP benefits such as the book club, chats with some of our favorite book club authors, and LP calls about once a month with David and I. So thanks so much for listening, and we will talk to you next time.